0: All right, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, there's no music today, simply because I left my aux cord in my car, but we're going to work with it anyway. Uh, Today's podcast, we're going to actually talk about baseball for a little bit. I know it's mostly been basketball and uh, football, priority, mostly football. But anyway, um, yeah, we got a special guest on today. And for those who are longtime listeners, it might be a familiar guest. It is Ian Lenahan.
1: What's going on, everybody? For the
0: uh, part of the extended cut, former editor, still semi-writer.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, Sorry, uh, I was visiting our friend Dylan in Sicily for a little bit. Yeah,
0: it's no big deal. And then uh, afterwards, we're gonna go over the games that happened. Well, I'm after Ian leaves, I am going to uh, go over the games. But all right, let's just jump right into it. So, baseball has really been whacked over the head lately. Fuck! It seems as if the entire. Uh, it's gotten way more attention than it has in the past, but unfortunately for the MLB, it's for the exact wrong reasons. all negative
1: attention. So, we're going
0: to attack this from a linear timeline perspective, and we're just going to talk about the Astros first. So, for those who don't know, the Astros were caught cheating in a, well, what people are calling, like, trash gate. <sighs> and for those who don't know what I mean by that, they would, if they knew what type of pitch was coming, and mostly it seemed to happen with, like, change ups, mm-hmm. I believe, Yeah. then uh, there would be a trash count trash can effect that you would hear from someone whacking it from a room and apparently it was like so in depth that there was a person in like the hallways of the stadium yep. that would then relay that they would see the pitch on the TV then they would relay it to the manager who would then proceed to tell someone to hit the trash I can. I don't know
1: if it was the manager a lot of and we'll talk about it eventually but in 2017 when the Astros won the World Series Alex Cora um, now the the now former manager of the Boston Red Sox uh, was kind of the ringleader of the whole thing. And so there would be someone, you're right, uh, someone standing in the hallway looking on TV, looking at the signs being put down by the catcher, uh, and then relay it to someone who was near a freaking trash can in the, <laughs> in the Astros' <laughs> dugout, and then be banging a bat against it to signify uh, change-up, cutter, slider, whatever it might be that day. Um, there's the video you were specifically talking about that you and I have talked about uh, before this was against the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, it's just we're at home, and it was Evan Gaddis was at the plate. And um, you can hear it. It sounds like a bunch of wild apes just going, <laughs> well, for lack of a better term, ape shit on a trash can. And in the middle of the at-bat, you know, Gaddis is trying to pick up exactly what the catcher is putting down, and he eventually does, but then the catcher and the pitcher figure it out. And then they have a little meeting at the mound to try to figure out the signs. And then for the rest of the game, there were no more problems because they f- couldn't figure out the, what, the white t- what the White Sox were putting down.
0: Way to use it against a quality team like the White Sox too. really just whip out your best. Because you really, yeah. in order to beat the White Sox as the alleged best <laughs> team in the AL, you have to cheat to beat these struggling I, White Sox know. who haven't been good, I think, since they had,
1: uh, um, what's his name, um, Chris Sale. Jesus, yeah, like 2010 maybe. <laughs> maybe that was their trial run. I don't know. It's just, it's such a shitty look for them. It's so, so bad.
0: So in terms of the Astros, they were handed down their punishment Kind of mm. didn't feel properly given out. I feel like it wasn't that bad. They only suspended yeah. their manager and their GM for and, a year.
1: And then the owner turned around and fired them both, which I think was a smart move. At the same time... Um, if the
0: PR wasn't bad, though, would he have fired them?
1: I don't know. I really... I honestly don't. I, feel I don't know like, much I feel about, about this Astros
0: management. Like, what their style... Like
1: they love A.J. Hinch. And I can imagine that was a very... My sources tell me that's a very hard decision to make. Yeah. I don't know, it's... I, I I think they would have held on to him after the year-long ban. Um, the general manager turned around and said that he had nothing to do with it. He said it more, <laughs> and it, I think it was like an eloquently put statement, but he then, that was when he called out Alex Cora, and then that's when the whole trickle-down effect began. Um, I think A.J. Hinch is a phenomenal manager. Um, I think it's more of a reflection on the players themselves because I'm not saying that A.J. Hinch goes completely unscathed in this, but at the same time... This is a practice being implemented by the higher-ups, like someone like A.J. Hinch, I would assume, but then again, the blame is pulled towards Alex Cora, but it's being carried out by the players. So in terms of what you said before, the punishment feeling a little light, I mean, you can make, as, as a baseball fan, you can make the exact same argument for the Red Sox, too, with Mookie Betts. Jose Altuve should not have won 2008, or it should be stripped, uh, the 2017 AL Most Valuable Player Award. Um, then they went on to win the World Series. The Dodgers in back-to-back years, 2017 and 18, getting screwed over.
0: The uh, if anyone really got the raw end of the shaft here, oh it, it was Clayton Kershaw, who has been absolutely yeah. dragged through the mud yeah. as being a terrible postseason pitcher. But yet at the end of the day, he was at the backhand of two of exactly. the the two of the, che- the cheating scandals in this decade.
1: It really. But
0: now Clayton Kershaw is probably sitting at home, going like, "Oh yeah, you know, like, uh, so are we gonna get it?" And then he like, imagine I'm how
1: shitty he's gonna feel if they get back to the postseason. He just blows it against a team that's not trying to steal signs. <laughs> then it's like, yeah. "Oh shit, I am this bad, aren't I?" <laughs> Poor Clayton Kershaw.
0: Um, so another thing that I saw going around Twitter about this was that there's like this um, movement from Dodgers fans. That they feel they were so robbed that they just want it handed down to them the the championship, but
1: that's a pity part. Like,
0: at the same time, if I was a fan, I can't speak for the Dodgers, but I I also just can't speak as a baseball total fan entirely as I'm trying to dip my toes in the water here. <laughs> but uh, he, I, if I was like, let's say it was football and I'm a like Jets fan, we'll say and I, was, I felt I was robbed of a mm-hmm. Super Bowl. I, mm-hmm. And then I lost it, but the team was cheating that one. I wouldn't feel like I deserved to win it because I would want to see it on the field
1: winning. Exactly, and plus the Dodgers have gotten there in back-to-back years without stealing signs, Who's, and they are retaining the same team. Who's to say that they can't go back again this year or in the next couple of years? They're set up for success, and I think Dave Roberts is a phenomenal manager because um, I believe that catchers and utility players make the best managers in Major League Baseball. Um, Why do you feel like that is? Because catchers, um, I mean, shortstops are, you know, the field general, but catchers see the whole thing play out before them. They, know, they have relationships with the whole pitching staff. They have to understand the movements of the infield. They have to understand the cutoff man in the outfield, where the ball is going to be going when the ball is hit to the outfield. Um, they have to know hitters' tendencies, um, base dealer tendencies too. I mean – they have to, they have a lot to focus on. Whereas with each, you know, position in or positional area, so infielders have to focus on, you know, the infield and then a little bit of the outfield. Outfield has to focus on where they're going to throw it and then the angles of the outfield. So, you know, catchers have to absorb the most, and then utility players, they're the guys who can play over the field, so they're going to retain probably just as much as a catcher would. So, and Dave Roberts was utility man for the 2004 Boston Red Sox and in uh, his career before that. So now that the Astros
0: have basically been, they were already kind of, I feel like, the villain of the AL for a little bit because they always... They were getting there, yeah. There was always, like, these types of rumblings that the Astros had to do something special with their pitchers, Mm -hmm. actually, not Mm -hmm. hitters, which is kind of ironic Mm -hmm. because they would turn, like, these aging vets who were, like, about on the downward spiral of what most people assume to be their prime and then keeping them pretty flatlined at a pretty good level, like exa- examples being what they did with Cole and they did with yeah. um, Verlander. Mm-hmm. Verlander is probably their most famous turnaround yes. that they had. Yeah. But now how do you feel like the league as a whole is going to look at this Astros team and where do you think they're going to go out from this scandal? Can with they a big get-
1: asterisk, a huge asterisk. And the Red Sox going to get the exact same thing.
0: We'll talk about the Red Sox
1: in a minute. I know. I'm so upset. <laughs> oh, my God. But the thing is, the Astros, too, something I hadn't been thinking of until recently is that th- the 2017 and 18 and even 19 teams, if you look at those players and the way they celebrate and the way they carry themselves after a win, after a blowout, after a walkoff, whatever it looks like, they are extremely cocky extremely cocky. I don't know how long the, uh, the science stealing was really going on for. You can imagine this whole time. Yeah. But especially in 2017, the way they were celebrating, obviously when you win a championship, of course, you deserve to celebrate. Not one that's tainted though. And you should not, you would think that you would, if you're trying to be covert about it, you wouldn't be exactly banging on your chest so that if something like this, you know, does start to become a rumor. fall on your face. Exactly. You know, you would think that you would try to cover it up every little bit modest About everything but no they were banging their chests you know on top of the dugout steps and then i don't know i just it i it's really really impure it goes against not just you know not just baseball but if any this happened in any sport as a whole exactly i mean that's what is supposed to inspire people to play the game is being a part of a team and you know becoming brothers and sisters with your teammates but then if you're part of a really shitty cause like this, not only do you have that big asterisk next to you for this, you know, the test of time, but how do your relationships go not just with your opponents afterward, but then with your teammates? How can you even look at each other the same way after because you partook in something like this? It's, it's such a bad look.
0: The ironic thing is, too, they were known to call out other teams for being suspect. Yeah. Which would only draw attention to the games that you were playing in as a whole, mm-hmm. which kind of is, I feel like, Uh, 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 A take I heard That was really interesting about this I believe it was on the Ryan Rosillo Podcast was that they said That the thing that was hard To make it it was going to come out eventually Because the thing that's hard to prevent about it Is that baseball turnover with players Is so consistent that at some Point when one of the players that leaves Plays them plays the Astros They'll tell their team like hey Watch out for this so like it's Amazing it took this long to come out if anything of it's been over a long
1: period of time. It really looks like I'm itching to talk about the Red Sox, but I have another example. That's the whole thing when Alex Cora, you know, was the bench coach of the Astros. They won it. He moves on to Boston, the team he played for in his career. You know, then people, you know, they win a franchise record 108 games, win all 11 games in the postseason to finish with 119. Everyone looks at that at the end of the year, and they say a huge reason they won it is because Alex Cora went from the Astros where they had – he has all that intel – against his team and then implements it for the Red Sox. And a lot of people initially were looking at it like they know how to beat the Astros who were you know arguably the best team in the league. And then, I don't know, it's again, such a bad look. But um, I I really do think it's tip of the iceberg because you're right. Former players on teams like this go on to other teams. Maybe they try to implement these strategies or maybe they start to warn people, hey, we need to become a lot more um a covert about the way that we put our signs down because i played for a team that did this and i know of players who strategize like this it's not even strategizing it's flat out cheating but yeah you
0: know. all right so Let's talk about the Red Sox thing because oh, this was this, this was the second domino. I gotta go. <laughs> this is basically the second domino that fell in this cheating scandal of three, and the third domino <sighs> is kind of really like a minor domino, so it's gonna be like a like a footnote. But yeah, um, still, this is a big. huge thing for not only the MLB but really for Boston because like every title except the '08 Celtics title basically has an asterisk to it at this point. Yeah, in the past two decades.
1: Yeah, yeah so the, the, I, I think the Bruins and the Celtics are like. You know, they, it's sad that they have to look clean in, you know, the whole, the flag of a city of champions.
0: Yeah. Oh. So, if you want to, like, give your synopsis of how you interpreted the whole thing
1: going down. Actually, I'm going to make an amendment to that. I think the Red Sox in uh, 04, 07, and 13 were frickin' amazing. But not, I mean, 18 was, but here's the thing. I believe Mookie Betts was on his way to become the type of player that he is and at the same time yes even though you're stealing signs you then have to go out and do the work and you know be able to hit home runs hit for average hit for power hit to all fields know what pitches are coming but at the same time it gives you such an edge when you know what the catcher's putting down and you know what the pitcher's about to throw this isn't something where a pitcher is just tipping his pitches um for those of you who don't know what that is or what that looks like it could literally be as simple as you know Um, A changeup would be the pitcher would, traditionally, you know, someone who is tipping their pitches, a changeup would be they poke their glove once towards the catcher. That's what you do in bullpen sessions. If you want to do a curveball, you would flip your glove over to symbolize, like a clock moving from 12 to 6, symbolizes the 12-6 curveball. And then a four-seam fastball would be two flicks towards the catcher. It's not like that was happening, though. They did the exact same thing that the Astros were doing. So to go back to Mookie Betts, I believe he was in that he still is a very good player and was on his way to becoming an MVP caliber type of player. But at the same time, this is so bad for the Red Sox. And he probably should not have won MVP that year. Um, it makes me question a guy like J.D. Martinez, who is apparently a huge student of the game, someone who works on his craft, and he's a designated hitter for the Red Sox, mm-hmm. a student of the game. He studies hitting all the time. He doesn't play the field. In between innings, you know, he'll go into the dugout from what I've read and what I've heard. He'll go in between uh, innings and just study and just hit. And it really makes me question a guy like that, a guy who hit, I believe, like 43 home runs that year, I think over 120 RBIs, hit over 300 for average. Um, Players I love, Xander Bogarts, Jackie Bradley Jr., Andrew Benatendi, uh, Steve Pierce, who was a midseason acquisition, I'm not questioning him per se, or specifically him, but should he have been World Series MVP? Should the team have won 108 games? Should they have won 119 games when it was all said and done? Probably not. It really fucking bums me out. This is a team I have loved since I, since 2004. My first memory of the Red Sox is Jason Baratek hitting a bloop single against the Texas Rangers. For a walk off win. And ever since then, Jason Veritek is my first favorite player, but the Red Sox. And I lived in New York for the first 10 years of my life. I was born there. The Red Sox have always and will always be my team, but this just does not feel good at all.
0: So the weird thing I'm going to start crying probably. (laughs) (laughs) So imagine being like Steve Pierce. How do you think a player would really react to being a midseason acquisition and coming in, Mm -hmm. not knowing maybe. Maybe he does. Maybe it's like known with like maybe it's like rumblings within the league that they talk about it. That like, hey, you know, this is like Red Sox Houston I know Houston like people were always like there's something off with Houston but you yeah. don't really hear it but with the Red Sox it was never like rumblings that I believe yeah that Red Sox were involved in some type of cheating thing how do you think a player like Steve Pierce who gets traded midway through the season what's a mindset of a player coming into like realizing mm-hmm. the team he's going to is cheating how do you if you were in his place how would you
1: proceed feel? with caution honestly you know um, I believe when he was acquired you know he probably understood that he was gonna be a platoon player um, Meaning that him and Mitch Moreland, who's still on the Red Sox, are going to be splitting time at first base, um, and really, yeah, proceed with caution. You know, you got to test the waters, but then it probably becomes a mindset of, if it works for other people, why can't it work for me? And again, I'm not questioning him. I'm really not, not not even Mookie Betts, and I'm doing this with total bias. <laughs> I I really am, and I hate saying that, but you know, I still want to have hope that the guys who I love from the 2018 team, who are still on the team, all those guys are still on the team, I want to believe that there really was nothing wrong. And there is a major difference between what the Red Sox did and what the Astros did. What was the difference? The difference was the Red Sox would, and it's still not good, and again, I will probably start crying talking about it. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> they went to the replay room, um, which was recently implemented a couple years ago. The replay room is for, you know, if a manager wants to challenge a call in a game, um, so an example would be you know, someone hits a ball off the green monster, slides into second base, someone calls him out or someone calls him safe, but then you go to the replay room to see if it was vice versa, the opposing team. Um, and so you're only supposed to use it for challenging purposes. The Red Sox would go in there to try to pick up sides. They wouldn't exactly relay it in terms of noise from what I've understood and what I've read, like the Astros did with the fucking trash can, but it still takes a lot of, a, away a lot of the integrity of the game you know, and I'm surprised that there aren't MLB maybe there aren't, I just haven't read or am not understanding it right. But it sounds like there's a lack of security against those replay rooms too. You can't have that in the dugout then. You know? It's like it's like the MLB was kind of letting them do it in a sense. You know? It's not yes, they found a way to win, the Astros and the Red Sox, but at the same time, if it's not heavily enforced, um I believe it was Christian Yelich who Uh, former MVP on the Brewers, uh, he won it two years ago, I believe. He said it where he was like, this is basically the tip of the iceberg um, and that there are several teams who try to gain an edge. And if it's not enforced, then of course. But I mean, now that it's come out, the hammer is really starting to drop. Yeah. It's really bad. Um, So I know your question was about Steve Pierce. It was more just about the mentality of a player. Yeah. Yeah. but again, I don't want to question someone like that because he, they do still have to work extremely hard, these players. Um, I can imagine he probably came into it with a closed-off sort of approach towards it. Um, he got traded for a reason. The reasons he got traded were not because he had been a cheater before. And then maybe he did partake in that sort of system. But I believe once he saw that maybe it was working for other people that I could work for him. And if he was someone who cheated, then it most definitely worked for him.
0: (laughs) So um, do you feel like this is something, because I've heard that people think as a whole, baseball is more, like, there's been, like, there's teams that, like, really graze the line Mm -hmm. for cheating. Mm -hmm. Like, they try to push it to the limit before they get caught to see, like, how far. Do you feel like baseball is, like, filled with that? Or do you feel like this is, like, just so much worse than any other type of cheating that could potentially be happening.
1: This is so much worse. So I, in my opinion, I, you know, cheating back in like long before we were born, the 1970s, um, there's the instance of George Brett had a home run taken away because there was too much pine tar in his bat. That to me is... Yes, it's, it's gaining an edge, and it's not something you can be doing. There's only a certain amount of um, tar and rosin you can, be, um, you can be messing with. I'm not even sure if you're allowed to entirely have pine tar. I don't even know anymore. But um, this is so minuscule in comparison because that's trying to gain a physical edge. This, once you cross over to the threshold of trying to gain a mental edge over your opponent, that's where it becomes so bad. you know. And my, uh, my again, a, an example, Michael Pineda, former pitcher for the New York Yankees a couple of years ago, got called out against the Red Sox at Fenway Park because he had pine tar on his neck. And he kept on – Yep, yeah. and, he, and he would dab his hand, uh, dab his fingers into it, and that gave him a better grip on the baseball. For They found know. that out so quickly. They found out so good. David Ortiz went up to John Farrell, the old manager, and was like, you can see it on his neck, and I just you know saw it on TV. Like, it's there. You know, call him out for it. So he went up. He eventually got thrown out of the game and suspended that's a physical edge so again not great not good um but a mental edge or you know some sort of a brain power edge knowing what's coming before it actually happens that's huge it's like you're playing
0: chess but you know exactly what you would your opponent would do when you moved your your specific piece
1: and of course it's so much worse because of how hidden that was Mm -hmm. you know And that's, again, the difference between the Astros and the Red Sox is because um, the Astros were so obnoxiously loud with some sort of stuff. The Red Sox would, you know, they wouldn't be. But at the same time, they had the automatic link of Alex Cora.
0: Yeah. So, like, um, in particular, it seems that uh, a lot of people now with the – we're going to go back to Correa for a quick second. Yeah. Because there there has been this new, like, wrinkle – in the cheating scandal mm-hmm. that people are not thinking that he got buzzed on specific, that they, they, that the players were wearing buzzers on the underneath their Jersey. And there's been like this huge like Twitter investigation thing where they like look at players and you see this like confetti esque shape mm-hmm. underneath their jerseys. Do you yep. have any opinions on that? Like, Do you think that's, s- r- do you think it's possible that's what it is? Because yes. I,
1: you do. Yes, most definitely. It's that video this year. We, we were talking about this yesterday, Corey. This, the video of Jose Altuve. Um, when he hit that home run, walk off, I believe, game six, ALCS, against Aroldis Chapman. You know, Aroldis Chapman, we all know, he throws 105 miles per Pure hour. Pure heat. Probably more. That's the fastest in history, um, history of the MLB at least. Jose Altuve is a very short man. Um, And I'm not questioning his athletic abilities. I think he is a very, very, very good baseball player. But what's the likelihood that he can hit, you know, a 100-and-whatever-mile-per-hour fastball that's up at his chest or close to his neck even, uh, depending on the way his body was leaning, and can, you know, hit it out of the park 330-plus feet. And then the video of him crossing home plate after when they're all celebrating. Houston is going buck wild. Because they're going back to the World Series, they're freaking out, and there's a slow motion video of Jose Altuve, and he's getting to home plate. He's getting dogpiled by his teammates. He's holding his jersey together, and it looks like he's saying, "Don't rip it off! Don't rip it off!" Why is that, Corey? We we we've seen. I don't remember who you were saying it was yesterday, but someone was like, "If you look at you, know, you type in Jose Altuve shirtless." <laughs> thousands of pictures show up. I'm so positive he did the ESP and the body issue. And then on TV afterwards, people were like, "Well, he's shy, so we didn't want people to rip off his shirt." And immediately when he was on TV with Ken Rosenthal, his jersey was off and he had already put on um a championship shirt without the jersey under it. I smell a rat. I I really really do. And and the, but the MLB has said that they haven't found uh, evidence of that. So but maybe there is maybe there's evidence
0: they, that other players have worn that that there's a similar shape thing on other players' jerseys. So do you think this is like like what I had just said earlier? Like that everyone's kind of on this fine line of cheating, but it's like a step. It's like I don't think it's the same step as the the sign interpretation with the trash can. But it's definitely like on the like definitely on the spectrum. But if like that was a ten, would you say like this is like a seven or eight? On the cheating spectrum for baseball, or do you view in, them t- in as terms in terms of a buzzer? Yeah, or do you view these as
1: equivalents? Equivalents, because I actually I might even say that the buzzer. What uh, advantage does the buzzer I, no. give
0: as opposed to the sign stealing? To be honest, to I, you, I mean, to, I don't I player. don't
1: know the whole because it was you know uh, quote unquote proved to be false by uh, Major League Baseball. You know, they found it to be inconclusive against the Astros that they had buzzers under them, but. I believe it gives the exact same sort of thing because when they're banging a trash can, there's however many seconds that the player has to react knowing that there's a changeup or a slider or a curveball or whatever it may be coming at them um, crossing the play within a matter of seconds. With the buzzer, I can imagine it was probably the exact same sort of thing where then they have a couple seconds to adjust and to see, you know, whether if they... If they see a curveball, if they know a curveball is coming and they can see that it's starting out high, they already know that it's going to be spinning down. Why? Because they know it's a curveball. So they can position their bodies, they can position their swing to go a little lower and drive the ball or maybe even weigh it back on it and hold their hands and they can go to the opposite field. There's so many quick approaches that especially a professional player can make. Even you can argue that a little leaguer can make the exact same sort of adjustments. You know, it's if you have repetition down by that point and you have good hand-eye coordination, it's it's a huge advantage. So the buzzers and I really do believe it's true, and I'm not questioning the MLB, then again it's not like they're gonna come at me and be like, How dare you <laughs> eat my hand? You you and H senior, you fucker <laughs> But I mean, I, I really I really do see that being um a reality and a huge part of this problem of cheating and I think it's just as bad as the trash cans if it's true and I believe it is
0: so to close this off um, do you act I feel like in a weird way this will make baseball more viewed (laughs) no because in a way this gives baseball the most attention that it's had in recent memory for as long as I can remember if you ask me if I go on the streets of UNH right now these people, these mean streets, <laughs> these reckless streets of Durham. If people, what they would remember more, what do, if I asked people like, "Hey, who did, uh, who was the big splash of MLB free agency this uh, year?" They'll go. They probably won't know. Yeah. And if I ask them, "Hey, who was the team that was caught cheating in baseball?" Exactly, they'll say it's the Astros.
1: Exactly, like an everyday fan like me would be like, "It was Garrett Cole signing with the New York Yankees." But then, any you're right. Anyone you go ask on the streets, they're going to say, well, the Astros got in trouble and the Red Sox, too. And they'll probably focus on the Red Sox because, of course, this is a regional thing. This is huge. I mean, this transcends transcends the integrity of the game, obviously, but at the same time, you know, what's the purpose of baseball? And it's sure as hell isn't cheating, you know? And you're, you're right. People are going to know about it. People do already know about it, and that's how people are going to remember it.
0: So how do you feel like baseball from a PR standpoint and, like – entire game like sportsmanship standpoint and like protection of the game as a whole how can they move on from this and try to improve the game in aspects to make sure events like this are less likely to happen you can't prevent it all from happening but how do you feel like they can make it less likely
1: because i feel like uh, the the punishments
0: oof. that were handed down aren't really deterrents
1: i think something can you get a little philosophical here human nature you know you can have You can have ten good things or nine good things happen, and then one thing that maybe wasn't so hot or wasn't good happen. What are you more likely to remember—the nine good things that happened or the one good thing that happened? Wait, I just said good twice. (laughs) They're the one bad thing that happened. A lot of people remember the negative thing that happened. I really don't think this is something that I'm not going to say. You know, I think I I do think attendance in ballparks, especially. In Houston and even in Boston, even though Boston attendance has been amazing for you know, probably since the year 2000, maybe even a little before that, um, attendance is going to go down. Viewership might go up. You might be right about that. But at the same time, people are going to be left with a sour taste in their mouth because people, more often than not, do not remember the few good things that happened. They're going to remember the really bad thing. It's going to be tougher for people now to look back on a more recent championship win for the Red Sox. So that would be 2013. They might, and even though there was everything, the whole narrative of, you know, it was so, it was perfect, not scripted um, per se, but, you know, it was amazing that they won after the Boston Marathon bombings. There are going to be people who look back on how close the timeline is between 2013 and 2018. It's five years. People are probably not going to be able to appreciate 2013 as much. So there's going to be, there is a reaction, and people are going to remember it in a pretty foul way, I would say. There's probably going to be a lot of people who aren't fans anymore, um, not just of the Red Sox, but of the game as well, because people don't like people don't like cheating.
0: It puts a, a smudge on a, It's like a smear campaign, basically, on the MLB. As exactly, a whole.
1: it's really, really crappy, and it's very upsetting. And you the know,
0: only way I view it as a positive, though, is that it seems out of the. F- I, I co- I'm this is a controversial statement, but I consider the three major sports in America to be football, baseball and basketball. Yeah. And out of those three, baseball is definitely talked about the least on the street right now. Yeah. Within I would even say within just uh, once again to refer to campus, I very rarely hear in passing by people talking about baseball. It doesn't have this pop or sensation because
1: it's such a long season and the games themselves are you know even though timeline wise they're about the same as baseball and basketball it's less action-packed and you know good things may not happen until the ninth inning and that's a long time to wait for some people
0: i would also say that the biggest issue that baseball has right now is that unlike the nfl and especially the nba the mlb is solely based on this idea of tradition and continuity of mm-hmm. staying the same. Mm-hmm. You don't see MLB constantly making changes. Yeah, that you're right. and when they That's do, correct. people are outraged. Yeah, because remember when they decided they wanted to cut the games back, so they decide that yeah. there was that whole argument, and people were outraged. Yeah. Like, no, don't, don't
1: don't mess with America's pastime. Essentially,
0: but people always are clamoring for the NBA to shift Mm -hmm. in some format with this mid-league tournament idea people Mm -hmm. are pouncing all over it they're not like no 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 don't do it like the fans are saying don't the fans are saying totally do it
1: yeah because it's so exciting already they want to see how much more exciting it can get but it seems like with baseball people know that there's a threshold for you know how high excitement can go based on um the past and maybe their i guess attention spans and you know their current interests and a lot of people's current interests you're right you know on the street you don't hear people talking about baseball because it's so prolonged and it's been the exact same for god knows how many years now
0: so my main point i guess what i'm trying to say is in a weird way i do feel like this cheating smear campaign that the mlb currently has going on in in one way damages their overall image but at the same time it brings baseball back into the conversation of mm-hmm. every day at least yeah. might not be for forever but for right now, it is keeping baseball alive when the season's not even going on, mm-hmm. which is something that never happens. Baseball yeah. is basically dead during yeah. this
1: period. Yeah, exactly. And then another thing I want to add is um, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of the MLB, I think he's got a, some pretty large kahunas for what he did. I think that's I, I think it's commendable. Um, how do you crack down on the last two World Series winners and, you know, are able to stand by with the decision you made, and then also um, receive so much. Actually, I wouldn't. S- he hasn't received criticism, and that's the thing. So that's you have people like me who, I'm not saying I outwardly appreciate the fact that you know my my Boston Red Sox are getting absolutely fluffed over right now, <laughs> but you know it is good. And something I'm excited for is a if the Red Sox and Astros. Mainly the Red Sox because they're my team. But I believe <laughs> they're so, both teams are so insanely talented. If they're good in the next couple of years and maybe they can go back to the World Series and maybe even win it, then that proves that they can win it without this whole science dealing thing. And that's going to help me and other people I can imagine restore faith. And then also, maybe they're not as good and that allows for other teams to come in and win. You know, the Dodgers were a very talented team the last two years uh excuse me uh, last three years um they didn't make it to the world series this year but um maybe a team like them can finally go and win it maybe there's going to be another team that you know like a phoenix rising from the ashes <laughs> maybe they'll go to the world series and win it no one expected the as, uh, the nationals to do what they did this year they did it without bryce harper you know i don't know i i'm excited and i'm a, i am appreciative in an odd sense that rob manford did this of course i'm very upset that the red sox participated in this but at the same time um as a baseball fan you need to crack down on this sort of stuff and i believe that a bunch of the players on the team are too talented to even be cheating anyhow so i believe that they can probably get back in stride for both teams honestly
0: all right uh thanks for coming on freak yeah dude this is awesome (laughs) hell yeah (laughs) all right thank you i love you guys all right thanks again to ian for coming on so now we're going to talk about the uh afc postseason afc championship game uh for the afc championship game we had we're gonna go for the winners and losers format and for those who didn't know the uh chiefs beat the titans 35 to 24 there are a few there are a few winners and losers in this game by the way i'm going to cover the nfc in a separate pod i'm going to split the two up because the baseball one took a lot of time and i don't want to make this a fully like stuff to the brim episode because we don't have a lot of we don't have a game i'm not going to cover the pro bowl that's a whole nother issue anyway all right winners uh we got andy reed who has been the laughing stock of the nfl postseason for as long as i can really remember he um he was one and eight against this titans team it was the worst record he's ever had against a uh, a team in his coaching career which I didn't really view as a factor. It's just one of those things that was just pretty weird and an outlier for Andy Reid to have such a bad record against a team that historically, probably since he's been coaching, hasn't really had many highs, mostly mediocrity and lows. I mean, they had that 1-13-3 season, I think, back in like 2011 with Kerry Collins, which was kind of like a weird, fluky year. And they had CJ2K anyway. Andy Reid really pulled it out here. He once again was in a typical Andy Reid type situation where he was down a ridiculous amount of points. And unlike in past times with Andy Reid, he actually pulled it out and made a very impressive statement with a win game to bring his team to the Super Bowl. His second time being in the Super Bowl being with the Eagles back in '03, where he lost to the Patriots to establish further the Patriots dynasty that was beginning to form. So props to Andy Reid here because he truly deserves to be back. He's a very well respected coach. I don't. I know a lot of people like to shit on Andy Reid and say he doesn't have the ability to coach in this league just because of his quote unquote time management issues, which have been shown in the past. I feel I believe the the resume of Andy Reid really stands for himself. His teams are always extremely competitive, and he has been handed the best quarterback he's definitely had ever. To borrow a uh, a point from Colin Coward, his his quarterbacks within his coaching tenure, have been McNabb. They've been Alex Smith. Those are like the best two he's had. And both of them, while being very good, like very serviceable quarterbacks, no one's arguing here that either of them should be Hall of Famers. And no, I do not believe Donovan McNabb is a Hall of Famer. He was a great quarterback. But when you look back in the records, was, his, was he one of the best in his time? I believe he was never in the discussion for the best and I feel like that's what it really takes for you to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. All right, losers here. Uh, everyone who wanted Mike Vrabel to cut his penis off. Um, this was a story that I've been talking about, and as have many, that that Mike Vrabel really was, uh, he said, it, it was taken out of context. He said that he would cut his penis off to win the Super Bowl if he had to. So when it got to this point, people just twisted the narrative in classic media ways in today's game and said that he would if they won now that can't happen seeing as they lost unfortunate here for all of us who were really expecting him to but was he really ever going to no he was just going to say it was a motivator for his team and it really showed in the game how well they played but maybe next year he'll make the same proclamation and those who are really banking on it can get excited all right, winner here is Patrick Mahomes' legacy. Now that is like sounds like outlandish for me to say. Now that he's in year three, that it's good for his legacy. But what I mean more for that is his stature, because all year Mahomes really has been in the background. Like he had he had a few good games to start the year, then the ankle injury happened, which caused everyone to kind of forget about him a little bit as the Chiefs were sort of somewhat staying afloat under Matt Moore. And Lamar Jackson really just took the light away from Mahomes, and they were saying Lamar is the face of the NFL. Mahomes is a great quarterback, but Lamar is the future with the way he's revolutionizing the game. Mahomes has proved in this postseason alone that, one, he is back, and, two, that his last year was not a fluke. The kid throws the ball all over the field at a ridiculous amount of angles, has an arm that is unmatched. He makes plays that are honestly insane in today's game. And they are such a pass-heavy offense for such good reason because if I had if they had that talent, why are you just going to hand the ball off to Damian Williams, who at best would be on a normal team like they're running back too? They just haven't been able to because LeSean McCoy's body has been absolutely beaten from the fact that he's played in the NFL for a, an extremely long time. <laughs> so Mahomes wins this. Leg, Mahomes gets a real leg up here because at the end of the day, Those who doubted him have truly seen that he is what he has stated he is and has shown it through the first year and a half of him starting in the league and his stature amongst young quarterbacks. He's definitely the pinnacle. He's definitely the one. It's pretty hard to dispute it, and I really feel like this is my gut feeling now that we're going to see him lift the Lombardi Trophy, but this is my feeling now. Between now and when I make my final prediction, it could definitely change, but for right now, that is what I'm sticking with. Mahomes has an opportunity to cement himself as one of the best starts to a young career we've seen, probably since Russell Wilson's start to his career. Now, he has way more talent, I think, arm-wise than Russell Wilson, but the level of magic that those two bring is pretty identical, I would say. All right, a loser. Those who bet the over on Derrick Henry's rushing yards. Now, the reason I say that is because he had a 118.5 over-under. Most people would have bet over. I was considering betting the over, but I didn't. I didn't bet it at all. Now, that the it, did, it looked pretty good for them because in the first quarter, he came into the AFC. We saw Derrick Henry averaging 5.9 yards each game. Tannehill handed him the ball. And over his last three games, he's averaged 588 yards. He only got 69 yards on 19 carries in the last game. And that really happened because the Titans are a team that only really ran the ball when they were up and they were up for a majority of all their games in fact in the past two games the Titans have fed Henry 47 carries total on the second halves of the wins over the Patriots and the Ravens and that's 23.5 per game in two contests and Tennessee at led for the entire second half in both of those games so they are just going to run the clock out and make it so the ball was never in their opponent's hands. And Derrick Henry was just thrashing the offensive line, so that made a lot of sense and was honestly a really good game plan. However, the 11-point lead that the Chiefs took with 14 minutes and 50 seconds left in this game was a number that forced Mike Vrabel to reconfigure his entire playbook and move away from the clock-churning runs that had defined the postseason for the Titans to this point. They only gave him the ball three more times after halftime, all of which came in the third quarter. Because once Kansas City went up 28-17, he only touched the ball two more times. Each time led to an unsuccessful screen pass for them that just looked absolutely stupid on paper. Because you knew at that point they were going to force feed him the ball. The the defense knew it, and they were just ready for it. So Kansas City really cut into Derrick Henry's production and made it so he had only 3.6 yards per carry before making him basically a non-factor in the final two quarters. All right, another winner here was the Kansas City defensive scheme. Three the two games, Ryan Tannehill passed for 160 yards, and Derrick Henry had rushed for 277 yards. Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, had a preferred attack was to place a one safety up top in the middle of the field and then line up his defensive backs across their assignments on the line of scrimmage and literally play like a goal line-esque formation with at least seven Run stuffing players that included linebackers, tight ends, or defensive ends, and tackles to close the Titans' offensive line. The Titans were running the ball on their first six downs of the game, and they gained 27 yards on that. When Tennessee finally left that, that type of uh, offensive game plan, the linebackers were playing a zone defense. So it basically was completely built around the idea of stopping Derrick Henry. And Kansas City just gave up four runs of five plus yards all afternoon because of this. Knew this formation that they were running and Spagnola played the numbers up front and literally had to trust his secondary the entire time, which was the strength of their defense. So it was honestly the smartest thing to do because their rush defense was really bad. All right. So the final loser of today is that anyone who goes up against the Tennessee, or I mean the Kansas city chiefs in this post season should just not really be that ecstatic. I saw Twitter blowing up after they were down 10, zero to the Titans and we all know that Houston beat them when they were up twenty four zero. The rough thing about this essentially is that Tennessee ran the ball on the f- on first down on sixteen of its first twenty opportunities, and this included plays that were wiped out by penalty. And over that span, they took a ten zero advantage and turned it into seventeen, and and outscored them seventeen to seven. And then the Titans were basically screwed as the Chiefs went up twenty eight to seventeen at one point. I would say it's really hard to gain confidence for this team. at this. Anyone that's up, I would not feel safe. I don't think the 49ers are going to fall into this trap. I think they're a very well-constructed team. But these teams have been ecstatic. They're beating this high-powered offense. But this thing about this offense is it's a flamethrower. All it takes is one match, and it just starts going. And that's what we saw last week, and that's what we saw the week before. 10-0. Then they come down the field, score with Damian Williams. Then they come back up the field again. Then it seems like there's a little bit of a lull, but then it just starts right back up again so long story short this this should not be a comforting sign for any of the teams for the 49ers in this game you see the 49ers go up 10-0 my main point here is do not expect this game to be over it is very much alive and we will continue to see that hopefully the game doesn't start out that way originally but if it does you know not to turn off your remote all right i think that's going to do it for uh today's podcast Sorry, it's lighter on the football content if that's what you came for, but I thought with the, with the lull we're having between now and Super Bowl Sunday, I want to split the, the review of the AFC and NFC games to give you more NFL content sp- throughout than just during the uh, one podcast. However, we will deviate for a little bit and go to a Oscars-esque talk for next one. I'm going to have a few guests on for that one, and we'll talk football at the end of that one, too. And once again, there is no outro music because I did leave my aux cord in my car. That is not going to be a permanent thing. But once again, thank you guys for listening, and uh, I'll see you on Friday.